It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. So welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today's date is the 15th of December, 2022. Okay, our weather today is... um, Come on, it's nearly Christmas, so it's um, a little bit sort of wintry, but not cold, that's for sure. Right, let's get into that fictional car. Go across the uh, mountain range and down to Playa San Juan. Good morning to you, Rob. What's your weather like and um, how are you today? Yeah, good morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. I'm fine, thanks, Vince. Um, yeah, fine. It's um, a bit of a cast down here, actually, to be honest, at the moment. And yesterday it was raining all day and, and during the night we had an absolutely massive downpour. Um, so at least it isn't raining today, but yes, as you say, we're, we are right uh, at the end of the year, aren't we? So uh, it's, it's, it, you can't complain really about the weather here, can you? No, I, I think it's easy to complain, but you're absolutely right, you can't or you shouldn't complain, shall we say. Um, just breaking news, by the way, in the newspapers this morning, there's a story about a 14-year-old lad um, uh, apparently in Montpellier in, in Montpellier in France the um, Moroccans weren't very happy obviously because they had been beaten by Les Bleus the French and they surrounded this car and uh, apparently the, the lad's been uh, trapped under the wheels of, of, of the car so it doesn't actually um, give you the detail too much as to uh, who the boy is or, or that it's just basically a little bit more doom and gloom for everybody uh, which the tabloids seem to excel in so um it's um it doesn't even really tell me whether it's um a french fan or whether it's just that the car was being driven by somebody with a french flag so um we start today looking at um aspects of qatar which really uh, are not pleasant um okay we wanted, as everybody did, to enjoy the football uh, because, really, that's what the event is supposed to be about. It was embroiled in politics from the word go. And so, realistically, um, we held off because, basically, uh, you know, you want to see if the tournament can actually go ahead and be played properly. And everything seems to be reasonably OK until... You come to um, look back and see what really it was all about. So, um, Robert, I sent you an article for us to discuss. And uh, I think you can see quite clearly that really people have just swept this under the carpet. um, Because, quite frankly, it hasn't gone away. It's just a question of um, people wanted to enjoy the football. So I'll read the first part for our listeners to look at. And it was saying that while human rights campaign groups have warned of state-sponsored conversion practices, ingrained prejudices and arbitrary arrests of LGBTQ people living in Qatar, women's rights are also severely curtailed by the country's guardianship laws. And this could put female fans travelling to watch the World Cup at risks. Uh, So... When you look back, this was written before people started going uh, to travel to Qatar and a 2021 investigation by Human Rights Watch found that Qatari laws, practices and regulations limit the freedoms of women in Qatar, denying them the right to make the the key decisions about their lives. The Qatari government rebukes these claims, but the campaign group insists that little has changed since their report. Now, the organisation found that men must grant permission for many aspects of a woman's livelihood, including marriage, studying abroad and certain fields of work. It argues that Qatar's records on women's rights is a stain on the shiny exterior that the country is trying to promote. Women's rights campaigners have also warned that women in Qatar can face persecution 
for reporting sexual assault, requesting uh, sexual health care or being intimate in public when they aren't married. As female football fans flocked to Qatar to show their support for England, we spoke to experts to map out what women can do and what they can't do in the country, as well as its track records in on women's rights. Now, as I'm reading this, Rob, you might not remember some of this, but a lot of what I've just been reading about was prevalent in Britain. You know, um, when I was growing up, um, obviously the male of the uh, partnership was always the one that uh, had to sign up for the mortgage and loans and things like that. Um, I think I also once told you in the 50s it was frowned upon that, you know, you hold hands in public. And certainly um, until the 60s, you really... um, well, you heard about uh, homosexuals, but you didn't sort of you certainly didn't use the word gay and you certainly didn't, um, you, you know, you, you didn't speak as openly about those type of problems as you do, obviously, these days. Now, what I'm also thinking is when you look at Britain um, and when you look at the mess that Britain's in and, you know, by all means, People can tell me that I'm clouding the issue, but I'm not. You know, a lot of Britain's problems are they have become too liberal, far too liberal. Um, So much so that because they've been too too liberal, the left wing people are taking it to extremes and basically ruining uh, the, the freedom for everybody. So am I making sense? And what did you think when you started reading what I sent you? Right, Vince. Well, yes, um, yeah, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from on that, Vince, actually. And um, as far as I'm aware, I think um, homosexuality in, in Britain, I think, was illegal until 1967, wasn't it? It was. Which meant, yeah, which means that I, I I was actually born when it was still illegal. Uh, I was only a little baby, but, um, yeah, things, things have changed completely in the opposite direction, haven't they? I think possibly... They might have gone too far in the opposite direction because basically we've, as we speak about quite a lot. Um, we don't well, we don't get any choice, but we um, we're told what to think basically, aren't we? You don't, you don't think as an individual anymore. And I think Qatar's strict laws are like the opposite end of the spectrum, aren't they? I think the, the Western world, a lot of it is gone too soft. In Qatar is sort of far too strict, I would say. But um, somewhere in the middle, hopefully, there's a happy medium. But I don't think uh, the Western world's got it right either. No, well, I think we certainly haven't. And uh, the idea of this podcast and anything that we say is not basically to say that one is right and one is wrong. But I think we need to alert people to what is being criticised and why maybe some people still really feel that maybe there needs to be middle ground in all this because uh, what would be very interesting is to get to any sort of statistics as to um, what happened in Qatar during the likes of the AIDS uh, as they call it the plague Um, you, you know because people have conveniently forgot that really if you'd have had a particular part of the community, um, you know, maybe behaving itself better, maybe it wouldn't have become as bad as it was. Now, that isn't to suggest for a minute that heterosexual behaviour is not also under scrutiny. I think the whole thing is, Rob, it's that we should all conduct ourselves in a way which we haven't always done. Um, And sadly, uh, you know, there's a tab to play normally when you do something wrong there comes a time when um you, you know there's a price a, play, uh, a price to to pay for things so um I, I would like to maybe have a look at those figures to see if the qatar uh, regime have uh, got any substance behind a decision the way that they are actually behaving because um yes it's not the same uh, that they've got in certainly uh, uh, most of the western world but maybe 
there are aspects of it that maybe need to be rethought. So, again, uh, I'll go to the second part now for the do's and the don'ts for women visiting Qatar. So, yeah. Uh, as concerns grow over the country's track record on the human rights ahead of the World Cup, so don't forget we're going back and looking at what was being talked about before the event, the UK government released guidance on how to adhere to laws and customs in Qatar, which include the strict rules that women have to follow female football fans are expected to dress modestly while in public. Uh, if you actually look at that one alone, um, you've got people walking around and and quite honestly, every now and again, I do understand why they, why some people might want to criticise them. I mean, I was driving not far from where I live and there were about five uh, ladies of the day now, not the night, sitting out on their uh, chairs, touting for public uh, business. And one in particular, I mean, you know, she just uh, w was wearing her underclothes. And that's on a public highway. And, you know, quite honestly, um, does it make me a prude to say, well, that really is not the best way to be? And um, does it make me lean a little bit more towards what the Qataris maybe have tried to to be trying to um, to get towards? I mean, quite honestly, I think both of us would agree that they've gone too far. But... If it goes the other way and people are too liberal, uh, y you know, as I just say yesterday, uh, that was what I actually saw with my own eyes. So uh, your thoughts on that? Well, that um, what you just mentioned, Vince, um, is actually quite a relatively common sight, isn't it? Um, during the day as well, plain daylight, um, especially in the uh, motorway exits and um, entrances, uh, places such as Benidorm, for example. Um and yeah, the, um, well, I, I don't like to see it either because I always think that these um, these women are. They, they, I don't think many of them do it through choice, do they? I mean, so I mean, they're either doing it through necessity, or sometimes even forced into doing it. If you can believe what uh, you hear about some of these um, organised gangs, but um, yeah, again, Qatar um, is the opposite end of the spectrum, isn't it? So uh, hopefully, with a bit of luck, this World Cup. Um, will have opened some, well, some people's eyes to what actually happens in Qatar. It doesn't look like too bad a place, actually. I, I, I thought it was going to be really sort of like horrible um, to look at. I don't know why, I just imagined it didn't strike me as anything. It's probably a horrible place. But it actually looks quite nice. And hopefully, if the people sort of do learn a little bit and we learn a little bit from them, then we might be able to meet in the middle somewhere. But yes, they're far too radical, I would say. I would say that we are too far too liberal. Um, they're not the only country, are they, like that? Uh, there's, there's a lot of countries in that part of the world that are just as strict, aren't they? Well, of course, uh, you then look at the fact that, obviously, the Muslim faith conflicts with the um, Christian faith. But, of course, is it really conflicting? Because... It's the people who are breaking the rules of the Ten Commandments who probably uh, are doing things that they particularly are objecting to. Um, you know, I, I'm not taking the, the, their side by any uh, means. It's just basically I'm trying to apply what we're asked to do here. I mean, I remember going into my Spanish class and um, it was just after the Manchester bombings. And we had a new guy who was a Muslim who was in the class and he had a grin all over his face. And um, we were discussing, you know, what had happened in Manchester. And um, anyway, uh, he was very happy uh, that something like that had happened. And uh, I challenged it and he said the girls, sh women shouldn't walk around like that. They got what they deserve was his attitude, really. And I said, well, of course, you'd be surprised to know there's a lot of us don't like the, the way some of the girls go round. But 
that doesn't give anybody the right to to blow them up or do the things that um, obviously certain states think that they can do. I mean, going back to what's written in this article, um, this is on the BBC website, by the way, so it's not sort of a, a right-wing thing or anything like that. Um, but they're saying that um, uh, the, the female football fans are expected to dress modestly, including while driving, and must cover their shoulders and avoid wearing short skirts. Um, both men and women are warned not to wear sleeveless tops or shorts when out in public. And the government has warned football fans that public shows of affection are banned, including holding hands and kissing. I think I did tell you that that was also uh, frowned upon in Britain in the 50s. Um, let me also go on to tell you about... Um, the Qatar strictness in their laws that any woman who becomes pregnant while outside marriage could face prison or deportation um, alongside their partner. The UK government warns that doctors will ask for proof of marriage during antenatal checks. So, um, you know, there's a sense of obviously extremism and there's a sense of at least some form of law and order i go on to look at um, sexual violence uh, from this article in qatar research showing that the risk of sexual violence rises significantly at major sporting events and while female football fans visiting qatar may feel confident in their understanding of the country's laws the way in which they are applied when women become victims of sexual violence goes widely under the right the radar human rights campaigners have expressed concerns for victims of sexual violence during the world cup as there have been previous instances of female victims being prosecuted for extramarital sex when reporting rape. Um, Dr. Charlotte Proudman, an award-winning barrister specialising in violence against women, told the Mirror newspaper, shockingly, everyone has been incredibly silent on Qatar's horrific sexual assault laws. Uh, Qatar's strict Islamic code outlaws all sexual contact between married couples, making it uh, oh sorry unmarried couples of course making it an offense even if the woman has um, consented um, now the the thing for me is we've really put football above um, social norms and acceptability of what happens when things go wrong because any woman who's been violated shouldn't then have to worry also about the state taking the, the side of the perpetrator and i think that was definitely swept under the carpet and uh it is even i think even now in the sharia courts in britain that seems to be swept under the carpets and it seems to be that the men the men get sort of carp blanche approval of uh, whatever's gone on uh, which is not right it's that is horrible i don't know whether you agree with me uh, and obviously i'm very uh, keen to see what you think about that one well um yes i really can't um understand that idea either that if a woman has been sexually assaulted and um actually has the uh, courage to report it because a lot of the a lot of women even in the western world don't trust the courts and the judicial system and they think they won't be believed and a lot of people don't report it but if they do in uh, places such as qatar and um, they're classed as being the guilty party really aren't they um that is something that i knew about already um in that part of the world and it's something that i just cannot understand i can't even begin to understand if uh, a woman's been raped, for example, and she has the courage to go to the police and tell them, then she's classed as guilty. Um, it doesn't make any sense at all to me, Vince, whatsoever, I'm afraid. OK, well, we're agreed on that one. And, yeah. of course, the problem for me is that the putting, uh, and we've all been doing it, putting football more important than uh, the law and the way that uh, certain members of communities have been um treated um now we go to another aspect of something that uh, really has started to be talked about uh, in the last day or so um so let's just play a jingle and then move to this
Okay, so uh, it's the EU and Qatar bribes, and the European Parliament scrambled on Monday to get ahead of the widening scandal of alleged huge cash bribes from figures working on behalf of Qatar. Now, the uh, immediate um, source that they seem to focus on was the Greek socialist MEP, member of the European Parliament, Eva Kali. Uh, she is 44 and she's one of four suspects to have been charged and detained in relation to a police investigation into alleged lobbying by the World Cup host nation. Belgian police are investigating allegations that figures working on behalf of Qatar have paid European politicians huge bribes to influence the Brussels policy debate. This lady is an Assembly Vice President who has spoken publicly in support of Qatar's recent Labour reforms, was arrested on Friday and now has now been charged. Three of her associates have also been charged after bags of cash were found in her home shortly after she returned from an official visit to Qatar and a second MEP's house has been searched. The uh, uh, Qatar bribe claims have rocked the EU Parliament's credibility. As Watchdog said, the investigation could represent one of the largest scandals in history. Uh, Joseph Borrell, the uh, EU foreign policy chief, told the BBC, certainly the news is very worrisome. We are facing some events, some facts that certainly worries me um, as a former president of the European Parliament. Belgian police sees cash worth about €600,000. That's worth about 516000 from what I'm reading in pound sterling in raids in Brussels, uh, Brussels last Friday. Now, they are investigating allegations that figures working on behalf of Qatar have paid European politicians huge bribes to influence the policy debate in Brussels. Four people have been charged and two have been released, according to the prosecutors. Qatar, obviously, as you'd expect, has denied misconduct. The uh, lady we're talking about, her responsibilities as vice president include the Middle East, and she has defended Qatar in the past. EU foreign ministers arriving in Brussels to discuss sanctions against Iran and Russia warned that the scandal threatens the credibility of European institutions. The allegations against the Vice President of the European Parliament are of utmost concerns very serious. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said it's a question of confidence of people in our institutions. And this confidence and trust uh, in our institutions uh, needs higher standards. Um, that's putting it mildly. And basically, um, I wondered, until I brought this matter to your attention, had you got a whiff of it anywhere? I hadn't actually, Vince, until you uh, brought it to my attention, no. Um, but I think it only came to light in, um, well, in the UK at least, I think, yesterday or the day before, didn't it? Well, well I, I, I've... I, I've had it uh, ready to, to, to speak with you about for the last sort of three or four days um, because basically this is um, something that really, um, you know, w once you see something like that, you keep, what I do is I keep an eye on it. So uh, I was quite pleased to see that they started to talk about it on the BBC last night. Now, normally, um, it's really a question of certain things you can't sweep under the carpet. Uh, certain other countries will address it in another way. Uh, so I'm looking, for, obviously, if I can say anything in the Spanish news, which I hadn't really spotted. Um, but it's the European Parliament we're talking about and um, collusion with um, obviously what goes on in Qatar yes well um, the, the, this um, woman Eva Kiley um, the uh, Greek socialist MEP has been um, relieved of the position I think she was the, um, she was in a very high position wasn't she I think you mentioned it when you were reading out that uh, clip but she was she was high up in the um, vice president including the Middle East yeah. as part of her job and there were, there were clips of her actually defending uh, Qatar's human rights record in the in front of all of the rest of the European Parliament, and the fact that they brought in a minimum wage and they're very progressive and 
absolute rubbish. But yeah, obviously he's being paid um, in cash. Apparently caught they caught um, one of the other accused people. Apparently some came out of a hotel very close to the uh, European Parliament buildings, and the police stopped him and he had a suitcase full of money, now full of, full of cash. Um, it beggars belief, really, doesn't it? But um, well, I think they're just basically doing what politicians probably would do all over the world if they could get away with it. But they seem to be able to, don't they, in Brussels? They, <clears throat> they seem to be alarmed to themselves. Well, when you think about it, um, you, you really have got to bear in the back of your mind that a lot of us were obviously um, really quite sure that there's something was going on. And of course, um, th- those of us that were suspicious in the immediate aftermath of the award of that particular tournament to Qatar, um, I-, I think that, uh, y- you know, you can clearly now see that if it's been able to get to somebody in the European Parliament, um, I would think it's a lot I don't know, but I but I mean, the, the, my suspicion is it's a lot easier to get somebody uh, who basically is used to dealing with that sort of money in football terms. Um, you know, I don't know whether it's it's making it sort of uh, a little bit too much of a conspiracy theories, but but the trouble is, you see, um, I'm just look at uh, another little thing further down, and this is a case closed. A police reveal suitcase stuffed with six hundred thousand euros which Qatar bribery scandal MEP's father was caught carrying as suspects are placed in jail for a week. Well, I mean, even these headlines are written in a way that doesn't sort of... It doesn't really tell the story as as probably it is, you know. Um, Because if you've got £600,000 in a suitcase, well, you're up to no good. I mean, who who the heck carries around that sort of money? <laughs> the Qatari people who handed it over, I imagine they were somebody was carrying it, weren't they? It's very, very, very dodgy that Vincent, the whole thing. In fact, I think four people have actually been charged, so uh, it's not one of these things no smoke without fire. Well, I've got the names here. To charge, to charge four people. Rob, I've got the names here, but it didn't appear in the first article, which is further up. So uh, this was obviously going through uh, probably two days ago. And so uh, Eva Kiley, we know about, the partner of her, Francesco Giorgi, ex-MEP, Pier Antonio Panzeri, and lobbyist Nicolo Figa Talamanca. Uh, these were all the people that are now accused of taking at least £1.3 million pounds worth of bribes. So, um, you you know, if you know yourself, if you've got something that you're trying to um, keep away from uh, the, 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 the people that will want to be asking the questions, I mean, you've got a, a suitcase. I'm looking at it now, packed with money, you know, and uh, I just can't believe that they can get away with that sort of money. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, it's isn't it, and all all in cash as well. Um, obviously, if they use bank accounts, then it's more easily traceable. Um, but yeah, just massive amounts of cash in suitcases. I mean, that that really is—it's uh, almost a parody, isn't it? Of things things that you imagine might happen, uh, but this has actually happened. So people with suitcases full of money in order to um, try and persuade the other members of the European Parliament that Qatar is uh, some kind of paradise and. Uh, their fiscal policies and their policies against women and everything like that are very, very sensible, really. Um, a very progressive country, apparently, according to this uh, Eva Kiley. But, um, yeah, it's absolute rubbish, isn't it, Vince? It'd be interesting to see when the, these people are being charged. It'd be interesting to see what kind of sentences they're looking at. Um, I bet they get a slap on the wrist and uh, possibly lose their job as an MEP, and they'll probably move straight into some other kind of political position somewhere else. Um, when in actual fact, I think uh, the betrayal of the trust of the people who voted for them um, and every, well, everybody else really in the uh, in, in Europe, I suppose, and in, in throughout the world, they, they've let everybody down. I would say that hopefully they're facing prison sentences, but I don't think they, they will because politicians don't seem to get that kind of uh, treatment dished out to them like everybody else would, do they? 
No. Okay, well, look, um, I think we've gone far enough into this uh, for today because obviously we do want to talk about the football. And so we've got a couple of stories. Let me just play a jingle and uh, we will move on. Talking football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. Okay, Rob, now uh, you've got a story about Didier Deschamps and uh, the French manager's uh, his uh, tactics for working with footballers, uh, something that happened at the last World Cup. Uh, so tell us all about that, please. Right, Vince, yes, well, this is um, a story that Marcel uh, Desailly and tells about um, Didier Deschamps because they're, they're good friends actually Been, they first um, met when they were teenagers still at Nantes in the youth system and they played together um, at Nantes and uh, also at Marseille and people remember actually um, uh, Marcel Detaille apart from the fact he was a World Cup winner with France in 1998 he also played several seasons at Chelsea um, after that but it's a story that he's got about um did a day shops and his way of man management apparently is very good tactician as we know but he's got a very unique way of dealing with his players um, <clears throat> anyway I think it was after the quarterfinals of the last World Cup when France went on to win they had a quite a grueling schedule and uh, did a few days before the next match so did uh, day shops said um, you can have the night off lads some of them went out some of them stayed into uh, speak with their families and some of them were just tired so they had an early night but quite a large group of them went out and when they returned back to the hotel um, as footballers hijinks were included and they started having a, a fight with, um, with a fire extinguisher and all the fire extinguishers on the landing of the hotel that they took over <laughs> took over the whole of one landing of the hotel fire extinguishers firing everywhere they went into the buffet which was set up 24 hours and started throwing food around at each other and eventually did the day woke up and whoever had the fire extinguisher in their hand at that time sort of gave him a squirt and he got him in the face like a custard pie and they were they all expecting a really bad um taking down shall we say they thought he was going to go into a rage because he can do he can go into a rage quite easily but he didn't he just said um i think it's time you lot went to bed don't you i'll see you in the morning and he didn't say anything else about it so they all spent the whole night worrying about what he was going to do the next morning. And when they all turned up for breakfast, he said, well, you had a good night out last night, didn't you, lads? Now let's get back to work. And he didn't tell any of them off. He didn't go into a rage with any of them. But by saying that, he, he was telling them, look, you took, you took liberties last night. Now get back to work. And they did go back to work and they won the World Cup. But um, that's that's what he's like, apparently. That's uh, his technique of dealing with people, and apparently he's really, really good. Um, he was a French captain at the World Cup in 1998, and he had to he had to keep all of them together. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's quite a character, I think, video just on. OK, uh, so we go next to look at uh, the work of Gareth Southgate, who, if you look at the uh, records, has been England's most successful manager um, in terms of uh, everything apart from winning the major World Cup. So if you actually looked at what he's done, how he's done it, and now the fallout, of course, that comes from the press and from all the pundits and people who are having their opinions, uh, we may as well have ours. So what do you think about um, what do you think about Gareth Southgate? Should he stay or should he go? So is there a clash with the football authorities in any of his policies or, you know, does he really need to rethink a few things? Well, what's your take on all that? Well, um, I was surprised actually that he has got the record of being the uh, apparently the best um, England manager um, as far as major world competitions go because they haven't won anything, but they've been to semi-finals and things. And um, I was quite surprised that, that he... Um, Beat Sir Alf Ramsey, for example, at, uh, for results. 
However, um, after England's departure from the World Cup, um, he's been asked actually by the um, FA to think about whether or not he would like to carry on. Um, they're not going to sack him, I don't think, because um, they, they, they have sacked managers in the past quite regularly. But I don't think they'll sack him, and they're basically left it up to him to decide. Now, it's, it, like I say, it's entirely up to him, but he might decide it's time to step down and let somebody else take over. Because he has, he has built a really good team, um, as we mentioned in the last podcast. Most of them are still very young, or a lot of them are still very young, and they'll still be getting into their prime by the next World Cup. But um, will it be better if he leaves the position and somebody else takes over? Now, that's entirely up to him. I think it might be time for a change, personally. Um, just, just for a change, because he's been there for years now. And a couple of the uh, candidates who are in the spotlight are obviously Graham Potter, who went from Brighton to uh, Chelsea mid-season, this season. And um, Eddie Howe, who was the uh, Bournemouth manager but now he's the Newcastle manager and uh, they're having a very good season as well. And various other people are in the frame as well. One of them being Arsene Wenger. Um, I don't know if that's a joke, but the uh, one of these betting companies has put a list of possible names out and Arsene Wenger's down at 16 to 1. I, I really can't see him coming back. He's retired now, but um, he's in his 70. I can't see him being interested in the slightest, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I don't think he'll make this decision really quickly either, Vince. I don't think he has to. No. Uh, I mean, I, I'm surprised they haven't decided to put a lady in charge the way things are at the moment. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in the list of candidates, um, well, what's called Weizsäcker or something like that, it's the, uh, it's the woman who was in charge, oh, well, the female manager who um, was in charge of the Lionesses for the uh, Euros in, in this summer. Hmm. And I think she's Dutch. Um, originally, yeah. she, she's actually in the list. Yes, so uh, that would be a turn up for the books, wouldn't it? it wouldn't be too surprising the way, where, where things are going at the moment. I don't think, Vince, but um, it is possible, I suppose. Personally, I think that would be ludicrous, but, um, uh, you know, I'm sure anybody that wants to criticise the podcast would say I'm being sexist. It's not because of that. It's just that basically I think the two games are two different games. Uh, by all means, uh, you, you know, the ladies have done well with the Lionesses. Um, but for my money, I don't think their standard is anywhere near Division 1 or Division 2 at the moment. Uh, well, it's near, but it's, it's not at those levels uh, for me from what I see and uh, you know um, obviously the the likes of the tackling uh, you know it's a different it's a different um, way that you've got to uh, approach the game and you know by all means I don't consider myself an authority on the on the girls game or the ladies game uh, but uh, you know we've been studying the form and what goes on in the men's game for a long time so I think um, for me it wouldn't be a good move I think it would be a retrospective move, a retrograde for me. And uh, I think if they're going to do anything, uh, they've got away from they've got to get away from playing safe. And I think this has been the problem with England for so many years. I think they've got an exciting group of players. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that they could have possibly done things differently. I did think that when Southgate took off Saka um, during the farm the, the final game that they played in the quarterfinals I think that really it was a question then of looking at um, the group I, he should have maybe put all the attack on get everybody out there really you know if, if you're going to go out go out in a blaze of glory but um, I think differently so I'm not going to tell you that I'm right and he's wrong I think he's done a great job I think that he's been very very steady um, but he doesn't seem to have taken the risks that he could have done but I think you mm -hmm. said it wisely it's his decision and it should be his decision shouldn't it well yes I think it should be his decision Vince I mean um, as I mentioned he, he, he has um, had a good term as England manager and he might well carry on I think his, his contract is actually um, runs out after the next Euros, which I think is uh, 2024, won't it? Yeah. But, um, it, like I say, we'll just have to wait and see whether or not he decides to stay or not. Um, oh, again, oh. He, he spent he spent a lot of time away from his family and things when he's been England manager. He has to 
go and watch matches all up and down the country. I mean, it's not an easy job, I don't think. No, I don't think uh, it is. It's responsibility, and like I say, away from home all the time. So he might, he might just fancy more time with his family and a bit of, um, well, a break from it, basically, because he's, he's, he's put in a few years. But, we'll, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, OK, well, we wish him well. I mean, uh, he, he has had success of a kind. And I think the other thing to mention, of course, is that all the teams have come up with very, very high standard football matches. So I think, uh, you know, to take somebody and judge them in isolation is every bit as the same as when we criticise and maybe feel that certain managers should go from the Premier League. If you look at the, um, the two names that you talked about, out. Of the two, I would imagine Graham Potter is more likely to be interested because, quite frankly, I think he should have seen through Chelsea very quickly now. Uh, they were pre- prepared to prize him away from Brighton, uh, lure him with money, and then they're talking about um, maybe getting rid of him anyway. Um, so I think if I was Graham Potter, I would be tempted because I think... What he should be learning is that um, maybe he didn't realise he was in a good situation with Brighton. They trusted him. And unfortunately, he thought there was bigger fish to fry. So I think that's for Graham Potter. And then as far as uh, the Newcastle manager is uh, concerned... um, he was out on a limb for quite a while, wasn't he, after his Bournemouth job? Um, he's got himself into a very good situation at St. James's Park. He's got his team playing well. And I think he would be less likely to want to go because I think he knows he's onto a good thing there. My only reservation would be does he like the, the city and where he's living? That's for him to decide again, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. I mean, he's a southern, isn't he? Um, anyhow, but um, he he seems to fit in okay. I mean, he doesn't. He, when he gives interviews and things like that, he always seems cheerful enough. Yeah. Um, and I think the locals have probably taken to him, to be honest, in Newcastle because, uh, well, apart from the fact that they've got a lot of money behind them now, they didn't spend as much as quite a lot of other clubs in the uh, couple of transfer windows that we've had since um, the Arab people took over. Um, they've got pots of money, but they haven't spent as much as um, other clubs. I think Aston Villa even spent more than they did. So, um, yeah, Eddie Howe has got Newcastle exactly where he wants them to be. And um, I think he's enjoying himself, actually, in that job. So uh, I think it'd be quite difficult to send him away at the moment. Yeah. Give it another couple of seasons. And, um, again, that's a different story because we don't know what might happen between now and then. But I think Eddie Howe is really enjoying getting getting his... Chomping at the bit, he's got he's got this Newcastle business between his teeth, if you like, and he's really doing the best that he can, and he's doing very well. Because what happened at Bournemouth, I mean, I think it's um, well, it broke his heart, if you like. I, don't, I think that's a bit of a romantic expression, but you could just see he, he played for Bournemouth, he took Bournemouth up to the Premier League, and um, when they got relegated, he uh, lost his job, and he was very, very, he took it very, very personally. So it's good to see that Eddie Howe's back on uh, back enjoying himself again. Yeah, I, I would imagine that he's got a soggy checkbook. Um, tears of uh, bitterness coming down his eyes and uh, cheeks. Um, you know, I mean, when all said and done, he, these people do things for money. So I, I don't really have a lot of um, <laughs> don't have a lot of time for the sympathy vote. Um, let's but somebody else who's in the mix, actually, Vince. Yeah, uh, he's Thomas Tuchel. Now he he's a lot nicer than people realise. You know he he has he has been badly treated by Chelsea, and I think he would be not a bad choice actually. So there we are. Um, okay, look, let's review what happened in the World Cup semi-finals then. So Argentina, um, I thought would go through, and um, I think you thought Croatia. Wait a minute, let me just check that. Uh, yeah, I think you thought Croatia, didn't you? I think yeah, I think I did think that. I think I think I thought it would. I think I thought it was going to be um, a draw after full time after ninety minutes, and then I think it was going to be Argentina went through in the extra time. Well, I thought it would be Argentina on penalties. And in actual fact, it was a penalty that seemed to be the bone of contention uh, for the first goal. So uh, did you see it? And what did you think? Did you think it was a penalty for Argentina? 
Um, the first goal, personally, I didn't think it was a penalty. No, I think that was uh, again. It was a, it, it was one of these. It might have been. It might not have been. But I've I've seen the repeat lots of times, as you will have done as well, Vincent. Lots of other people. I don't think it was a penalty, but it was given, and that really set the tone for the rest of the match, didn't it? So, in Croatia went down um, from a messy penalty 34 minutes into the match. Um, Julian Alvarez, who got the two others, got the next one in after 39 minutes. So, at half-time, um, Croatia were already 2-0 down. They did what they could to try and come back, but they just they just couldn't do it. And I think, um, yeah, if you do get... <clears throat> a goal which isn't really fair um, quite early on in the match. It does set the tone and it... Um, well, it all, it all got a bit messy, didn't it? It certainly did. Now, in, in the... Uh, I think it was the third, the third goal in the second half, Messi. Um, he's not as fast as he used to be because obviously his, his age is catching up with him, but he's so skillful still. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he just went through the uh, Croatian defenders as he, as he would have done 15 years ago, didn't he? I mean, and we're talking about world-class players here. We're yeah. not talking about um, a, a group of amateurs. We're talking about people who are in the semi-final of the World Cup. And Messi just basically walked through them all and passed it again to this uh, Julian Alvarez, who uh, stuck the ball in the back of the net. Um, so, yes, uh, well, Messi's in the final, so we'll uh, just have to wait and see. It's a pity for Croatia, actually, and Luka Modric... Um, as we mentioned, we mentioned various times, but I mean, at his age, going to extra time, all the way to extra time, and then knocking a penalty in, um, is it's splendid, I think, and uh, this will be his last World Cup. So, uh, yeah, quite a, quite a few of the players um, we've been speaking about over the years, it is the last World Cup, isn't it? And uh, it's Messi's possibly his last chance to win one. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, everything's heading towards uh, Messi now. And I've got to say, he is. I thought all the time he was a wonderful player, so I've not changed my opinion. Um, And as you say, uh, when he headed down towards the goal line and then brought it back and um, passed the ball for the goal, well, you know, it was typical of what he can do. He does well. I thought Modric played wonderfully well all through the game. And I thought that Croatia were uh, a really stiff test uh, for Argentina. And uh, basically, it was a shame, really, that... um, they had to go out but I mean that's as far as they've got twice and when we're looking at the accomplishment of Gareth Southgate well don't forget the Croatia team have got there twice now uh, to the semi-final last time Vince didn't they it was a final it was uh, France against Croatia and uh, France won but they were finalists last time so a small relatively small nation with a smallish population yeah and they do fantastically don't they uh, the Croatians And, and the people who go along to watch the matches I think they all wear the checked outfits and everything, and I think they bring they bring a lot of colour and a lot of. A- they, I was they really enjoyed themselves. I was a bit <laughs> disappointed that they switched to blue checks because I thought that uh, I thought that certainly the red and white are so outstandingly obvious when you're playing that you know you you're drawn to them very very quickly. Whereas with the blue, uh, there was almost like there was a bit of a clash with some of the uh, blue of the Argentinian colours. But that's the way I saw it. But anyway, let's go yeah, to. I think, I think they have to play in their away kit because they. they Although they were playing in Qatar, it was Argentina, Croatia, not the other way around. So Croatia were classed, if you like, as the away team. And um, yeah, but there was to wear the away kit for that. Well, I thought you were. Yeah, but I thought you only had to wear your away kit when there's a clash of colours. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure about that, actually, Vince, because yeah, I'm just thinking then. Um, France and Morocco, which was last night. Uh, Morocco wore their normal kit, didn't they? Which is very similar to the Portuguese kit. Yeah. So, um, so I'm not sure why Croatia were blue. In fact, it might have been their own choice. Yeah, well, I, and I think, quite honestly, they were wrong to choose it that way because, um, as, as I've outlined, I think the, the red and white is so strong. But let's go to that second game. Recognisable, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Morocco, of course, um, I thought. Um, yeah, a little bit unlucky with the first goal. I thought they dominated most of the game, uh, from what I could see. Uh, you know, certainly the second half. I thought France 
Wolves were quite fortunate um, and I think that they've emerged as a world-class team and I think that uh, there's no kidology there they were there on merit I thought they played very very well I thought some of their naivety you could see especially towards the end when one of their players went right through everybody um, just when you were expecting a shot he just didn't seem to be able to get his feet right to make that shot. Um, I, I think the guy that uh, the bald-headed guy who was playing in midfield, I thought he was terrific throughout the tournament. So yeah, gr- great, great uh, effort by Morocco, and um, I think that um, you know their fans have obviously been there in huge numbers. Uh, Sadly, Mar de bit in uh, Montpellier from what we were reading in the papers today. Um, but uh, well done to Morocco. I think we, we can only say that, can't we? Oh, yes. And um, I, was, I was right, actually, uh, when we spoke about them last time, Vince. It is the first time that a team from the Afri- African continent has got so far in a World Cup. Um, but because they also represent um, like the Arab world, it's the furthest that a, a country from the Arab world has also got so... Uh, yeah, Morocco, um, really, really good. To, they got that far, and uh, well, that's what the World Cup's all about, isn't it? I don't think uh, they would, they're not going to win it because they're out now. But uh, to get so far, a country that at the beginning of the World Cup was classed as one of the rank outsiders, um, and get there on merit, there wasn't any, um, th- there wasn't any luck involved, if you like, or any <laughs> bad decisions in their favour. Possibly in one of the matches, but uh, it didn't really alter it that much. And they got there fair and square and, um, yeah, good on Morocco. Well, I had a little chuckle to myself because uh, when you were saying that that's what the World Cup's all about, we just spent half an hour talking about things which were entirely yeah. not showing you that yeah, that's what... The World Cup should be about. It's exactly what it should be about. Absolutely yeah. right. OK, yeah. so let's predict then uh, your winners, please. I would prefer not to actually. It's too far, too close to call. Yeah, but we, we we've got to we've got to make a prediction. Come on, I mean, yeah, the, it's, it's only between it's only between I, you and I and the listeners. I think uh, France reigning champions. They've got a young team, an enthusiastic team, an excellent manager, as we've mentioned. Um, I, I think I think France will do it. Good. Good because I think Argentina will win, so that will give you, uh, you know, it gives a nice bit of spice between us. Um, yes. The reason yeah, yeah. why I think I think it's preordained that Messi is going to win this because it's his last tournament. There's too much emotion on it now, and when I watched France playing Morocco. Um, Argentina have got the same sort of grit in their tackling which the Moroccans uh, have been able to uh, demonstrate in their games so I think if they take a leaf out of Morocco's book uh, if they can get a nice early goal under the belt um, Messi might be able to weave a little bit of magic and I don't think it's going to be a runaway victory uh, or anything like that I think France is too canny Um, I think that uh, the managers obviously as you've outlined um, so yeah I'm going to go for Argentina and I think there'll only be one goal in it I think it'll be something like 2-1 uh, uh-huh. okay now we come to a little bit more of a difficult one which is the third place game which I think is on the Saturday when Croatia will play Morocco now we've got reasons why each of these should win Croatia they probably are an aging team now I think this is going to be their last chance so they're they're at the last chance saloon meanwhile Morocco are joining the top table for the first time ever so it's a very um very interesting third place playoff what do you think will happen it is an interesting one isn't it Vince um as you've outlined, I think uh, quite a lot of the Croatian players, they've given it their all this in the, while they were still in the World Cup proper. And um, a lot of it w- will be their last uh, World Cup, a lot of them, including Modric, unfortunately. And Morocco are an up-and-coming team, aren't they? I think Morocco. Um, they, w- they won't be too upset about losing to France because um, they're the reigning champions. But I think Morocco will be out to try and get the third-place playoff um, Possibly with more 
um, enthusiasm than Croatia, I'd say. So I, w- I would actually give it to Morocco, this one. Um, again, not many goals. Um, 2-1 possibly to Morocco. That's even more fascinating because I think Croatia will win it. Um, Ah. And I think that it's going to be the uh, Modric factor possibly will be the biggest factor. I think the goalkeeper was also brilliant uh, throughout the tournament. Um, I would like to see Croatia win it because I think on merit they would deserve it. But having said that, I should really be also uh, applauding the work of Morocco, who have been a revelation. And, um, you know, uh, as I said, they've deserved to be in the top four. So, yeah, Croatia for me and um, Morocco for you, that will be an interesting one to watch. Now, just as a final comment, what I think has happened over this tournament is where we thought the African nations were strengthening, I felt that um, they've all dropped away again. Um, Yep, okay, we can say Morocco is in Africa. Of course, it is geographically. But I think the heart and the emotions are with uh, probably uh, the um, Arab world, which, of course, um, does embrace part of Africa, doesn't it? Well, it does. I mean, um, uh, and also they're across uh, as part of Asia, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's, it is quite a large chunk of um, of that part of the world, isn't it? The um, the Arab nations. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think um, a, a lot of the countries actually classed as being in Asia because they're not in Europe. But um, yes, it's well, we'll just have to wait and see. Do, do, do we know actually? Vince? I've just uh, just thought about this now. Who, who is going to be the referee for the final? Have they mentioned it yet? They, well, um, I know. did see a little um, hint that it could be one of the fire, one of the referees who have been criticised. So uh, this will be very interesting to see who actually does. I mean, I thought uh, Michael Oliver was by far and away the best referee at the tournament from what I saw I thought he he had impeccable games and um, you know he's gone home apparently so that's a shame that because I thought that he would have been a good referee for this particular final certainly totally neutral Um, Mm. I think also another point that uh, emerges as we go to our last three minutes I felt the Americans are uh, showing that the Canadian and the American team are strengthening Um, when you look at uh, some of the teams in South America they seem to be getting their um, you know they're getting a bit mixed up in what they're trying to achieve at times Um, probably trying to be too European because too many of their players go across to Europe to play certainly the Americans I think um, we could find that will strengthen over the next couple of years uh, ready for the next World Cup your final thoughts Thoughts, yeah, maybe on that'd my be interesting morning, Vince, because it's spread over three countries, as, as we mentioned um, during this World Cup. It's Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So, will they all get? I know there's going to be more teams. There's going to be 48 teams instead of just 32. But will all three teams get an automatic place being hosts? Um, I haven't heard anything about that, but that'll be an interesting one to find out, won't it? Yeah, it will be. I would imagine they will do. Um, you know, because otherwise, there's not much point in being a host. But um, very good point that and uh, really when you look at uh, Mexico even it sort of seems to be a little bit stuck now from being in maybe South America instead of maybe looking north to see what's going on with the American game you know um, very interesting so I think uh, we've got a couple of things to just finalise everything number one uh, football became the priority over everything which really uh, maybe it should have always been in the first place number two the game for me uh, the tournament should never have gone to Qatar I think it was totally and utterly contrived and wrong but um, that's just my personal feelings and uh, overall I enjoyed the tournament Um, what do you think uh, for your final comments well Vince I've actually enjoyed the football side of this World Cup Um, it's been unusual having it right in the middle of winter but um, I think the standard of football has been very good. And, um, yeah, I've actually enjoyed the football side of it very much. 
Okay, so as from next week, I think we can look forward to the Premier League and. Um Premier League is back, I think, on Boxing Day, the 26th of December, isn't it? And La Liga, I think, in Spain, starts again on the 28th of uh, December. So, uh, yeah, we, we were at, well, back, back, back to more or less normal, weren't we? Uh, if there is such a thing as normal, Vince. Rob, uh, look forward to next week. Yeah, my pleasure as always, Vince. Thank you, Rob. Bye-bye. I said,